Coming to you on a Tuesday. That's when we're recording. This is the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home for Chicago Cubs checking and uh, good news. Not only can you listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or where you usually check out your podcast, you can also check us out in Technicolor, live and direct. Well, not really live, but taped and direct on the Marquee Sports Network app, and you should do so and you should do it today. Joining me today on this Cubs Weekly Podcast, Tony Andraki. He's off. I don't know how he pulled that, but either way, Andy Martinez down in Mesa, Arizona, and Taylor McGregor joining the team as well. And Taylor, you know, we saw a walk-off win, 9-8. to Rafael Ortega, a guy who was thrown out earlier in the game, but then he made amends by hitting that laser rocket Grand Slam style to win the game, even though it's spring training either way. But being in Chicago and not being down there in Arizona to broadcast these games. I mean, how different has that been for you and how different will that be moving forward this season? Well, I think we became a little bit accustomed to calling games remotely last year. We did it for the entire season, calling games on the road. I think the thing that I really miss not being there in Arizona is just that interaction, kind of catching up with guys. Hey, how was your off season? How's your family? What were some of the things that you worked on? And so Unfortunately, um, I'm not there to experience that because I definitely do miss that. But as for the actual game calling, it really doesn't seem that much different other than the fact when you walk into the studio in Chicago and you're in a heavy jacket and then you look at people in the stands down in Phoenix and they're in tank tops and you're a little bit jealous. <laughs> well, the good news is that the heavy jackets, they've, they've been shelled for at least the time being. We saw the mercury rise all the way up to 70 degrees, I, I believe. I'm no Tom Skilling. But either way, it was a warm one in Chicago. Andy, down there in Mesa, I wish sunburn on you and Tony Andraki <laughs> a few days ago. But nevertheless, I mean, a thrilling comeback for the Cubs. And it, everything we've seen so far, this team, they look to be on the right track. They, they put the ball in play. They, they do all the little things. And once again, another spring training W. Yeah, and it's it's we're seeing everything that the Cubs were planning and hoping to be in 2021, right? We have, you know, those quote-unquote soft-tossing starting pitchers and Kyle Hendricks and Trevor Williams and, and Jake Arrieta now, you know, has, has been redefined in his, in his career. And they're doing – they're getting the job done. Uh, Trevor Williams pitched a great great outing today. Jake Arrieta the other day uh, against Arizona. Got into some trouble, got the first two guys on. He mentioned he was like a little amped up. Next six guys out, he got out. Uh, so he we're seeing the, the makings of a, a starting rotation that's going to put the ball in play, is going to keep the defense active, and is going to get a lot of outs. And then we're seeing the offense, you know, kind of get back to what we expect. Like, right. Like we don't, we didn't think Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant or Javi Baez were all 200 hitters, right? Like that, that, that was just a fluke from 2020. And we're seeing these guys match. We saw Javi Baez's home run to center field the other day where he just, you know, just absolutely crushed the ball. And then we're seeing Jock Peterson add another element. He had a, he had a home run today. He's got over like a 1200 OPS uh, in spring early on. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're just seeing the signs and, and then we're seeing Nico Horner right now. Uh, Nico Horner's uh, making sure he's he sticks in Chicago, right? Absolutely. We'll, we'll get to Nico in just a little bit because if you tuned into the game on Tuesday, you know you heard the the dulcet tones of John Bugshiambi and JD Jim Deshays, and you know there's going to be games coming down the road where we're going to hear a, a different voice in the booth. It's going to be a first for Chicago Cubs baseball. Taylor Beth Mowens is going to be in the booth. We had Beth Mowens on our last podcast here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, and. Talk about a groundbreaker. I mean, Beth Mullins, is, it seems to be at the forefront of every single groundbreaking move when it comes to females in the industry. And being that it is Women's History Month, you know, what was your initial reaction when you heard that, that Beth was going to be on the call for some Cubs games? 
So I'm not sure if you know this, Cole, but I actually did college football with Beth uh, at ESPN this fall. Uh, the first game I did with her was at the Rose Bowl, UCLA, Stanford. So it was my first trip to the Rose Bowl. And then I was calling the game with Beth. And it was one of those career moments where you're just sitting there thinking, this is so cool. I'm so thankful to be here. But I remember um, it was also one of the first times all season that the play-by-play analysts were on site because a lot of times this season they had been remote. And so I got to spend some time with Beth. And, and I asked her, you know, how did you get involved in play-by-play? Because for so long, women have been sideline reporters. That's what you saw if they were calling a game. And she said, you know, I was watching TV with my dad when I was young. And, and I said, you know, I probably can't be the analyst, but I want to be the play-by-play. And, and I just was taken aback by that. Someone who could dream that big as a young girl, even though it was really only men at that point that she could see. And she still still said, I want to do that and, and had the courage and had the determination and the self-confidence to, to keep pursuing it. I was so inspired by her. So it was awesome to do college football with her. And then when I saw that she um, is going to be calling games with here on Marquee, of course, I was thrilled, so excited. Um, I was also part of uh, when Jenny Kavnar called a, a game for the Rockies. She was one of the first women to call play-by-play game in years. Um, and so just being able to be surrounded by women like that who, who lift each other up and are, and are groundbreakers in, in our business, it, it's awesome. And I'm so thrilled for Chicago to get to know Beth a little bit more. Good stuff, Taylor. So we know Beth Moan's inspiration to you, myself as well. I have a nine-year-old daughter who looks to be heavily involved in the game in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And when you talk about people who inspire the next generation, Andy, as, as a young Hispanic journalist, I'm sure there's a lot of youngsters who, who watch Cubs games and say, hey, I, I might not be able to play, but I can do exactly what that young man right there is doing. And there's a lot of kids that look up to you, Andy. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what happened to me, right? Like, I would watch Around the Horn on ESPN, and I saw Izzy Gonzalez, and, you know, the, these guys were like, oh, like, if they can do it, then, like, I can do it, right? And that's, you know, what you hope to do and pass on to that to that next generation of, of young people who, like, yeah, I mean, not everyone's, as much as everyone wants to play in the big leagues or, you know, play wherever, you're not going to get that chance, and, and this is just another opportunity that allows you to do that. Absolutely. Like Taylor said that, that Beth made mention of if you see, if you can see it, you can be it. And Taylor, once again, you know, you, as you're inspired by Beth, you're an inspiration for a lot of young ladies out there who one day want to be play by play uh, broadcasters, sideline reporters. There's so many different facets of the industry, producers, directors, you're inspiring that next generation as well. Well, that, well, that's nice, Cole. And, and I feel the same way about you. You know, we talk so much about representation and when people see other people who look like them on television or doing what they want to do, um, it is an inspiration, but it also, like Andy just talked about, and like I talked about with Beth, it just shows them that they can do that. And I think to me, that's the most important part is that young girls can look at me and say, well, you know, she did it so I can do it as well. And I don't take that lightly. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to do a job that I love and also um, hopefully inspire others along the way. Absolutely. And like, like we said, there, there's so many different roles in the industry. So th th there's different faces and there's so many different places where people can land. So, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to be with the Chicago Cubs organization and Marquee Sports Network as teammates with Andy and Taylor. So one thing we do know about this, this team we speak of, the Chicago Cubs squad, is that there's going to be fans in attendance this year at Wrigley Field. You know, the, the news 
Wait, exactly. You know, <laughs> all you can do is let out that sweet rejoice because to see fans and to know that the friendly confines of Wrigley Field will once again be all a buzz once it's game day. Taylor, I know you're excited as well as the players. We heard it from David Bodie a little bit earlier. It makes the biggest difference in the world. I, I know I keep talking about college football, but that's kind of my reference. Um, I left doing Cubs and the first weekend that I wasn't doing it, game with Chicago I was with ESPN and I did a game down in Kentucky and it was 25 percent capacity and I just remember thinking it felt like a sold-out crowd because yeah. you go from silence you can hear everything there's not energy and you have to make your own energy to to fans even at 25 percent capacity it was such a game changer for me and that's something that as a broadcaster, people kept asking me last season, well, what's that like for you? And I think we, we knew so much that the players were going to be impacted by it. I mean, we talk about what Bodie said, Javi Baez is notable that he was the one who missed the fans the most. Um, but as a broadcaster as well, I didn't understand how much the fans brought me energy. And so I am so excited to have them back and then just excited for them as well, that people can get back to being in Wrigley Field, a place that they all feel like is home and um, to get to see the team that they, that we all love so much in the Cubs. So super excited on, on a multitude of fronts. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited to see if we're going to have maybe some, some, some pre games for Chicago Cubs baseball, maybe outside as opposed to just being in the studio the whole time, just <laughs> yeah. to be out there in that hive of activity out in Gallagher way. I mean, that would be unbelievable. Andy, what was your initial reaction when you heard that fans were going to be back in attendance at Wrigley field? Because I, I know not only does it spice up the game, but as a journalist, it, it, it livens up the atmosphere just a little bit. Yeah, and uh, I take it the example of uh, Tuesday's game, right? Right now, the, the walk-off Grand Slam by Rafael Ortega, like the place you would have thought that this was a, a win to clinch a playoff spot or, or, or a win to, you know, go to the World Series. This place was, Sloan Park was buzzing and it was just so, it was just so cool. Like you forget about that. Like Taylor mentioned, but you're in the, the empty stadium and it's like, yeah, the guys might be cheering themselves on after a home run or a big strikeout or something, but it's, you know, you know, 25 guys or 26 guys, whatever it is, it's not the same as when you have, I think it was the crowd was around 3000 today in Sloan Park that were just going absolutely bonkers for a, for a spring training walk-off Grand Slam. It was so cool. And it was just so awesome. I mean, you see it in the interactions, you see fans chanting Ian Happ's name, chanting, you know, Javi buys his name. You forget about those little things. And it's just like, you take it for granted. Taylor, you mentioned it, you know, it brings you energy. It brought me energy out. Like, mm -hmm. It was a spring training game, and I was I was I was excited to see the final, see how that final bottom half of the seventh inning played out because like, oh man, they might win this game, and it was just so engaging and so much fun. And I just look forward to to Wrigley Field, especially you know one of the most special places to catch a baseball game. I'm excited to see the fans back where they belong. Absolutely, and you make mention of you know all the guys that are getting their names cheered down there in Mesa, and and one guy who. <laughs> If he keeps playing like this, he's going to have people all around Major League Baseball cheering his name, even if they're on the opposite side when it comes to, to fan bases. But Nico Horner, I mean, this guy, he's out there. He's swinging a guitar. Everything, every time he puts that bat across home plate, he's yeah. making solid contact. This is exactly what we wanted to see from a guy like Nico Horner finally starting to come into his own. Yeah, he's swinging a guitar and he's hitting a beach ball. Like, I mean, he's just, yeah. he just sees the ball huge and he's, he's, he's hitting everything right now. Uh, it was funny. We were talking to Kyle Hendricks down here in Arizona and we said, you think, you know, you think uh, our uh, Nico Horner is ever going to see Arizona, uh, Iowa? Is he ever going to go to AAA? And Kyle Hendricks says, we hope not. You know, that's not a knock to the Iowa Cubs or anything, but 
you know, at the rate he's playing, he might not ever see AAA. If you remember, you know, he skipped AAA when, when he came up in 2019, spent all of last season with the Cubs. Uh, if he keeps playing this way, it's going to be hard to see him ever going to AAA, right? Like he's just, he's just played at that level where he's, he's making people think he's got to be the opening day second baseman for the Chicago Cubs, which was you know, really the only question mark of the position players going into the season. And, and Nico Horner's taking the job and running for it. Something that, you know, uh, Jed Horner spoke about that he wanted to see sort of like Ian Happ did last year with a center field job. Sure. And, and that 60 game season, Taylor, a season ago could have been a blessing in disguise for a guy like Nico Horner, because if it would have been a regular season, chances are he would have had some minor league service time under his belt. But we saw what happened last year. He struggled just a little bit, but was able to do some solid things. And this year, this is the season where he's really going to take that next step forward. And that's what we're seeing down there in Mesa. Yeah, and it's so impressive. I mean, you heard Ian Happ talk about it. This guy is learning on the fly. I mean, Andy talked about how he skipped AAA, and I was reading about Chris Bryant on his path to the big leagues. He had nearly 800 at-bats in the minor leagues. Nico Horner had less than half of that, and yet he's come to the big leagues and done what he's been able to do. I mean, in the shortened season last year where everybody struggled offensively and then coming into this year and, and getting off to a hot, hot start, all the credit to him for the adjustments that he is making on the fly to big league pitching and just being that guy that the Cubs drafted him as you know the high contact a guy who can use all the fields and then this year you're, you're seeing a lot of a hard contact too so really had you know tip of the cap to him for what he's been able to do because it's not easy at all yeah Nico Horner no doubt about it a student of the game if, if he wasn't a smart guy chances are he would have not played his collegiate ball at, at Stanford they, they don't they don't just let anybody into Stanford out there in Palo Alto. So we know Nico Horner is going to be a guy who's going to put in the time, put in the work, and he's going to put in his study as well. And it's, it's showing off so far this year. Now, we talked about Nico being able to hit big league pitching, Taylor. And when it comes to big league pitchers, I mean, if there's one guy who has that seal of approval, it's Jake Arrieta. I mean, we, we know he's got two no-hitters. He has a Cy Young Award. Didn't really go the way things he wanted to go in Philadelphia, but we know the Philadelphia Phillies, that they are what they are. He's back with Chicago. He has a new lease on life, you know, so to speak. How have you been impressed so far by his first two outings? Because from everything that I've seen, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be 2015 Jake Arrieta, but he's going to be a tough customer out there on that hill. Yeah, he's a different type of pitcher. You can see uh, more, more contact. The velo is a little bit down. But I think, what again, he, we're not bringing him in here to be, or uh, not me, but Jed Hoyer's not bringing him in here to be <laughs> the ace of the Chicago Cubs. You know, if he could give you a solid 150 innings, if he could be a solid three or four guy for you, I think this is going to be a huge success. But beyond that, for me, it's his relationship with the younger pitchers. You're already seeing it this, this spring with the way that he's mentoring and Adbert Alzali. I think that long-term is going to have such a huge impact. And so that's really impressed me. Uh, we could talk about what he's been doing on the mound. I'm still kind of a believer that you can't judge people too much, especially pitchers early on in spring training, because every time they go out there, they're working on things that we don't even know about. Um, so yeah, he, he, you know, he's been solid in his, in his first two outings, I'm, I'm excited to see how he continually develops um, the, the things that he's been working on into the regular season. But something that you cannot take away from him, and, and I, I don't think is going to change, is the fact that he is a mentor to those young players, and that is huge for this organization. 
And you know, it's crazy. Everyone always says like, it's the old adage, you know, don't put too much stock in it. Things that you see in spring training. But when, when a guy pitches well, I, I like to think, okay, I, I maybe do want to put some stock into that because it's not like he's gone out there say, hey, I'm going to see if I can get this guy to make contact. Oh, by the way, I struck him out. Okay, don't worry <laughs> about that. That's not going to happen during the regular season. Because Andy, when I look at a guy like Jake Arrieta, I think that he could potentially stumble into some number one, number two type starter numbers this season. I know the velocity is down, but at the end of the day, if he's getting contact and still getting those swing and misses, I mean, Jake Arrieta, he's, he's, a, he's a tough he's nut to crack out there on that slab. Yeah, and he mentioned one thing that was very interesting. You know, 2018, 2019, he played with injuries, 2018 in a torn meniscus, uh, and he pitched through the, whole, through the whole year. And you know, he mentioned something that's very, very interesting, right? Like when you, when you have an injury and, Cole, you've played baseball, you know, like you have a slight knock and you try, you subconsciously do something, right? Instead of like, you know, maybe your arm turns a little bit different one way or, or you know, mm -hmm. the, just does something small that you don't even know. Overcompensation. Exactly. And it starts and it keeps going and it keeps going and it just starts evolving into really bad habits that it's not like you meant to do that. It just kind of happened over time. And that's what Jake Arrieta felt was happening uh, in Philadelphia because of his knee. He was putting so much torque, so much force mm -hmm. on that knee that it was, it was messing up his mechanics and he wasn't, he wasn't the same pitcher. And that's one thing that he and Tommy Hadaby have worked on. This is something that he's working on this year. And it's going to be interesting to see now that he's fully healthy. He mentioned, you know, he had the bone, the, the bone chips removed uh, from his elbow last year, or excuse me, 2019. And, and now just feels like he is like a hundred percent healthy and can be the pitcher he wants to be. It's not going to be the 2015 uh, Jake Arrieta and, you know, I, I don't think anyone ever expected him to be that, mm -hmm. but there, but I think he can surprise a lot of people and be a solid, yeah, number two, number three starter for sure for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, when it comes to the overcompensation, it's almost like for, for all the old people out there who can relate with myself, it's if you're like your hip is sore one day and you're like on your golf swing, I'm going to make a little <laughs> bit of an adjustment there. And the next thing you know, on the 18th hole, you're out there swinging golf club looking like Charles Barkley. That's how things <laughs> can deteriorate. It can, it can happen very quickly. And luckily, Jake Arrieta is on the mend and he's looking to be back and not 100% of 2015, but uh, maybe if we see Jake Arrieta check in at 80%, who knows what could happen with this starting rotation. Andy, when it comes to this rotation, how do you see things rounding out? Is Jake Arrieta, is he going to be two? Is he going to be three? Does, will David Ross and Tommy Hadovy, will, will they vary the looks when it comes to velocity? I, well, I think it, it's going to be hard to vary the looks and velocity when a lot of the guys are, are similar, right? You know, Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Jake Arrieta, uh, Alec Mills, Trevor Williams, a lot of these guys, you know, are similar type pitchers. But the interesting thing, Zach Davies has been, he's been really impressive so far in spring. And I, you know, I spoke to him the other day after his, his outing and I asked him, you know, are you, a lot of the guys right now are focusing on mechanics. Like, are, is that what you're working on right now? And he goes, no, like my mechanics were good. My first start and my next bullpen. So I'm, I'm already focusing on the sequencing, you know, the, the pitching to a, to a game plan, which is very impressive given that, you know, we're still about two or three weeks away from, from the start of regular season. So, you know, if he starts hitting his form, uh, right now, he's got to build, build up the pitch count. Um, it was interesting. His second start, he only pitched. He only threw 25 pitches in three innings, uh, which wasn't enough work. He was trying to get 40 to 45, so he had to go back to the bullpen after that start to throw you know, some more pitches to get that that pitch count up. Uh, so he's he's a guy that I think is going to be locked into the number two start number two starter spot behind Kyle Hendricks, barring something you know dramatic or, or an injury or anything like that. And then, I, you know, if after that, you know, it's probably Jake Arrieta at three. And then it's it's a little gray. Trevor Williams has been pretty impressive in spring training. Alec Mills threw a good start. And then uh, Edward Alzali is also in that mix. 
And then I wouldn't count out someone like Shelby Miller, who has yeah. pitched well in spring and, and, you know, could continue to pitch well and can, you know, either come out of the pen, come, can start, can be a spot starter. He's going to be an interesting guy to, to keep an eye on as spring keeps, uh, the spring games keep going. Taylor, call me crazy, but you know, if I were to make out the starting rotation, I would put Jake Arietta in, in that two spot and I would put Edward Alzali in the four spot and then fill in obviously Kyle, Kyle Hendricks and then and whoever else you want to slot, put them there. But when it comes to Trevor Williams or Alec Mills, all those guys, Zach Davies, they all have, you know, right, right around the same kind of velocity. But if you vary up those looks with a Jake Arietta and an Edward Alzali, it's when it, when it comes to the slot in the rotation, it, it's, it's really more of, of, a, of a pride thing when it comes to some of these guys. But when you talk about stacking and varying the looks and making you know, opposing hitters uncomfortable, if you see you know, soft toss one day and then you see gas in on the hands the next day, it's going to make it just that much more uncomfortable for those opposing hitters. Yeah, and we saw that at the beginning of last year where you saw Hendricks one, Lester two, and as the season went on, there were some off days. They would ship guys around to kind of switch up the looks a little bit. So there's certainly some some realness to that David Ross in his press conference today said we're not going to define too much of these guys roles just yet because we still have a few more weeks left of spring and he he said they'll define them for us um and, and now whether you're talking about the looks you know hard throwing even though there aren't a ton of hard throwers um versus more of the soft tossers or is it more of length you know this year I think is going to be a lot different when it comes to the starting rotation and you know you, you were so used to seeing five guys well maybe it's more of a six-man rotation and in mm -hmm. an interesting way where you have to throw in that guy like a Shelby Miller or or even a Trevor Williams whoever it's going to be to be more of a spot start slash lengthy guy out of the bullpen so I just think defining roles too early uh, with the starting pitcher pitching staff isn't isn't there because I still think there's some time to kind of see how it all plays out and then and then once we get into this season too I think there could be some change as well simply based upon what everybody's talking about last season you had the shortened season you didn't throw as many innings and and history shows that if a guy goes from showing throwing lower innings to higher innings in one year uh, the chances for injuries increase so I don't know what the answer is but I do think something could start one way opening day and then heading into the season, we could certainly see a lot of shifting and moving around. Okay. Well, Taylor, on, on another front, how about one of the new additions, Jock Peterson? Because I mean, this cat, speaking of Nico Horner out there swinging a guitar on a beach ball, Jock Peterson, he's seen the ball really well. And the opportunity for him to, to play every day in David mm -hmm. Ross's lineup, that has to be a calming force for him because when you drive to the ballpark and you don't know if you're starting, if you're going to be in a pinch hitting role or whatever it may be, makes it a little bit tougher to do your job. Did you coin the term jock pop? Cause I stole it. If you did, you can, you can steal it. I did not come up with it. I mean, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's, I think it's just a, a homogenous term that, you know, just for when guys go yard, I think you can just put their name. If it flows, you can put it in there. Well, side note, I heard that the reason Jock's parents named him Jock is simply because they thought the name Jock sounded cool. So Jock Pop sounds really cool. Yeah. So we're just going to Brother Champ, it. too. They have cool names in, in the They Peterson really family. do. They sound yeah. great. So credit to the parents. Um, going back to Jock, I remember, and Cole, you covered the Dodgers. One of their big struggles is their depth. They had so many good players that it was hard to 
figure out how the lineup was going to flow each and every day. And you have a guy like a Jock Peterson who on one team might be a starter and an everyday player, but with the Dodgers, he wasn't. Well, that is really hard on guys, like you mentioned, to come to the ballpark, not knowing if they're going to play. And I think putting a lot of pressure on yourself to really perform because you felt like if you didn't go three for five, then you weren't playing the next day. And that's just an unreal expectation for a lot of these guys that I don't think they should necessarily have to wear. So Jock is now stepping into a role where he's finally given the chance to be an everyday player. David Ross told him that, you know, we're going to give you the chance to play every day. Now come the all-star break. If you're hitting a buck 50, then we may have to switch some things up, but he's finally getting the chance to be guaranteed that spot and what we're seeing so far this spring granted a very small sample size is that he's taking it and running with it and all the credit to him and and I think professional athletes they're competitors and they want a chance to prove themselves and Jock's getting the chance to do that so super excited to see um, what he's going to do for the Cubs this season and really just excited to use the word hashtag jock pop a lot on Twitter. So <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think this guy's going to be a shoe in for at least 30 plus home runs. I mean, we, we saw it the last time there was a full season went, went over 35. So hopefully we'll see more of that pop from Jock Peterson again. And, you know, he, he's a sneaky athletic dude, Andy. I don't think a lot of people know, but he was high school teammates with quite possibly the best wide receiver in all the National Football League and Devontae Adams. And he was the number one wide receiver on his high school football squad. So when you talk about athleticism, Jock Peterson is just that kind of guy. But when you talk about this roster being filled out, there's some sneaky athletes who've been, you know, making their their presence felt down there in Mesa with authority. I mean, we saw Ortega today. And, you know, one guy that that's really piqued my interest is, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm incorrect on this pronunciation, but Michael Hermosillo, Hermosillo, yeah. If you want to get, if you want to get, uh, okay, I don't know if can very phonetic with well it. Speed, oh, uh, but. Okay, but he's <laughs> but yeah, from but, Ottawa, Illinois. I mean, as right. crazy as that is, small town, you know, not too far outside of Chicago. Taylor, if, if you're not familiar with Illinois geography, it's it's I don't know, maybe it's it's two hours outside of Chicago. Pretty small town. If, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they've ever put any professional athletes in major league baseball for him to come from the angels organization, Andy, for him to do what he's done so far in a small sample size. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. A couple home runs in spring and, and David Ross was asked about him. He's like, yeah, I like his swing. He's got, he's very, he's got very athletic. He's got, he's got fast hands. Uh, very, he's impressed a lot of people in camp with his two home runs. And, you know, he's got some big league experience, like you mentioned with the angels, it's going to be interesting to see how those, you know, last few roster spots play out because, you know, they brought in some veterans that while maybe they won't make the camp, one thing that they talked about is having those veterans to, you know, coach some of those, quote unquote, coach some of those young guys. They brought in Cameron Maven, Eric Sogard, guys like that who have some experience in the Bidleys, who have played in the playoffs, who have done things that, you know, that will help the younger players as they try and, you know, be a part of the rotation. And it was, or excuse me, as part of the roster. And it was, it was very interesting when Eric Sogard was signed, Nico Horner was asked about it because there's the natural, you know, is he going to be competing with you for second base? And Nico was like, oh, no, it's another guy to learn from. And I just thought that was an interesting quote, right? Like, you bring in a veteran when you're you're a young guy trying to compete for a roster. You're like, oh, man, like, they don't trust me. Like, I'm too young or whatever. And he was like, I get to learn from this guy. And it also showed, you mentioned Sanford, Palo Alto, Northern California. It, it showed off his, his uh, fanboy because he goes, yeah, he's a former at Oakland A. And he just yeah. sounded like a little kid. It was like, it was nice. very funny uh, for him to, to say that. Uh, and he, he's just excited for the opportunity to learn from these guys. And I'm sure, you know, some of the younger out, younger outfielders that are in camp, uh, Brendan Davis, they're going to be learning from a Cam Maven, from a Jason Hayward. 
it, it's it's so interesting to see. And if they if these guys end up making the roster, then they can only help for even longer than you know whatever spring training will be. Taylor, final roster spots when it comes to that pitching staff. Anyone that's jumped off the page to you so far in spring training? Well, again, I think small sample size for a lot of these guys, but I think what you're seeing is is, is veterans. JD said said it on our broadcast. You know, you you could have guys who you think are going to come in and make roster spots, and then as spring training moves on, maybe a lot of guys surprise you. So I don't have one guy in particular that I think, oh, he's for sure going to you know, make the squad and surprise a lot of people. But I just think as a general rule, seeing Tommy Hotteby and his, and his staff work with a lot of these guys, um, I'm interested to see how this all unfolds and, and to see who gets that spot. Because I, I do think there's going to be a few guys who we look back and say, wow, nice work, Tommy. And, and credit yeah. to whoever that player is going to be. So I'm excited for that. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see if uh, last year's save leader with the Cubs, who had eight of them, who was just recently released by the Washington Nationals, who has the initials JJ, see if there's any interest in a, in a reunion between Jeremy Jeffers and the Chicago Cubs, maybe putting the cart before the horse, but we know how solid he was a season ago. And that's going to do it for our time here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home to Chicago Cubs checking. Make sure you check us out on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And once again, you can check us out visually on the Marquee Sports Network application or the app, as the kids say. I'm, I'm getting old these days. So for Andy Martinez and Taylor McGregor, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time. Same place, same time. Have a good one.